Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon. This is Ted Hart, and you are here on The Nonprofit Coach. I'm coming to you live from uh, Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. It is uh, 12 noon, and it is September 21st. We've got a terrific show for you today, uh, all about branding, and our guest expert uh, today uh, has written a book and is uh, viewed as one of the foremost experts uh, in, uh, in this sector. Uh, but uh, as always, uh, starting off here on, uh, on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we always uh, start at, uh, at the top of the show. Uh, with uh, with our news, and uh, today we've got uh, some interesting news for those of you who uh, are Greeks out there, uh, and uh, also uh, some interesting uh, news from uh, uh, from Ben and Jerry's. Uh, so uh, as always, uh, we always start here on uh, on page one. <laughs> Got a little bit of fun here uh, in the top of the hour uh, with our nonprofit coach news, uh, and that is uh, uh, a challenge that's been uh, issued uh, with uh, the help of Ben and Jerry's. A little bit of competition between our friends over at Volunteer Match and the Colbert Report. Uh, let me uh, have them tell you all about it. Hi, I'm Greg Baldwin, President of Volunteer Match, and our award-winning web service is making it easier for people all across the country to find a great place to volunteer. To support our work, Ben & Jerry's and Target have created a new ice cream flavor called Berry Voluntary, and we think it's pretty special. We know that Ben & Jerry's created Americone Dream for the Colbert Report, and while that is a tasty ice cream, well, we think ours is just a little bit better. The Volunteer Match challenges Stephen Colbert to an ice cream taste-off. I challenge you man-to-man, spoon-to-spoon, cone-to-cone. Who really has the better ice cream flavor? Let's have some totally unbiased random people on the street for their opinion. Mmm. Yay. I mean... Very voluntary. Volunteer Match volunteers challenge the Colbert Nation to see who 
has the better ice cream flavor. You can go to Target to try both, and we'll meet you anytime, anywhere, anytime. As always, you'll find a link to this and all of our uh, Page One news over in the radio links. You can find that at Ted Hart radio.com. We encourage you uh, today to uh, dial in and ask a question of our page uh, two expert. Uh, when we get to page two today, I'm very honored to have Larry Checo from Checo Communications, author of Branding for Success, a roadmap for raising the visibility and value of your nonprofit organization. So make sure you dial in to 347-324-3080 and get a chance to ask ask a question of our page two expert. Uh, if you're a little bit uh, more shy, you can jump into the chat room over at tedhartradio.com uh, or email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Continuing here on uh, page one, a little bit of uh, more uh, information here. Um, some good news and some bad news for, uh, for Twitter. Uh, they uh, just recently announced a revamped twitter.com site. Uh, with a lot of new features and really trying to uh, maybe take on Facebook a little bit uh, with some of their uh, their new features here. Uh, but uh, also you'll find over in uh, the radio links today, uh, not so great news uh, for Twitter just today, um, uh, big concerns about uh, security concerns uh, about the Twitter.com site. Uh, read all about that. One of the, uh, um, the, the best ways to work around that, however, is to use third-party ways to view your Twitter account. Uh, some people, and I personally like TweetDeck as well, uh, but uh, far better, I think, and we've added a link to the radio links today, check out Hootsuite.com. Hootsuite.com is a great way to organize uh, your Twitter feeds and your hashtags that you're following, uh, and uh, from all reports, uh, the security concern that popped up today is not uh, following Twitter on those third-party services, so that's a way uh, to work around it. Uh, read all about that uh, in both cases, the, uh, the security concern uh, and the revamped look for Twitter.com in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. Hey, bravo to our friends up in Canada. We've got a lot of listeners up, uh, up there in Canada. Uh, and a new report that just came out, online giving has surpassed traditional modes of transacting gifts among all Canadians under the age of 65. Yeah, that's 65, not 25. Uh, reports fundraising consultant uh, Penelope Burke from her recent survey of over 7,000 uh, Canadian donors, all ages are giving online now. Only 63% of Americans have given or plan on giving online this year compared to 72% of Canadians. Giving through the mail is the second most common choice for Canadians, but there's a big difference between donors 35 years of age and older, 50% of them plan to give through the mail, and donors under 35 were only 16% uh, plan to give this way. As you know, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we're all about helping you succeed online, online website design, social media, online fundraising. This is your hub. This is where you get the information, and this is the wave of the future. Look at what's happening in Canada. This is a wave around the world. It is more convenient. It is easier. It is more transparent, and it gives donors more options to give online. Read all about it in Canada, online giving reigns uh, over at tedhartradio.com. Click on the radio links. Uh, next up here, we've got uh, a couple of uh, guests uh, that, uh, that I've asked to join us on the show. I'm going to uh, uh, be speaking up in uh, uh, Newark uh, this week, and I really appreciate uh, uh, the fine folks uh, uh, up with the AFP New Jersey and New York chapters. Uh, if I've got this, uh, got this right here, I'm going to bring uh, uh, Peter Hansen is here. He's Vice President in, uh, of Development at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey. Peter, are you here with us on the non Profit coach. Yes, I am, Ted. Hey, Peter. Tell us all about it. Thank you again for inviting me. I'm looking forward to uh, being with you there in Newark. Uh, let our listeners know how they can register and what's going to be happening in Newark this week. Thanks, Ted, and th thanks for joining us. Um, we are convening the second annual uh, AFP New York and New Jersey Summit on Philanthropy. 
And it's a program that really developed last year kind of in response to the global dislocation in the economy and, and, and the real challenges and crises that the nonprofit sector were facing. So that New York and New Jersey chapters of AFP, which are two of the largest chapters, decided to get together and create an educational resource that would be a real-time look at what was happening in the economy and how it's affecting nonprofits. This year, we're kind of taking, we're saying, okay, the, the, the worst recession since the Great Depression may have ended, but there's still lingering effects, and you know, the economists call this the new normal. Well, how do, philanthrop how do nonprofits deal with that? How do fundraisers deal with that new normal? Um, and we're looking at it from three standpoints. Your expertise in, in, in uh, social media and online and integrating online and offline. Uh, Jane O'Connell runs the Altman Foundation in New York City. What's happening with foundations? How are they responding? How are they maintaining their uh, philanthropy? And what are their new priorities? And then Carol Herring, who is the president of the Rutgers University Foundation, which is just about ready to announce a $1 billion campaign. Well, this is very exciting. How can uh, our listeners still register, or can they still register they, they can, uh, to join us in Newark? They can still register. You can go to uh, uh, either the AFP New York uh, or New Jersey website, uh, afp-nj.org is the simplest. Uh, you can register right online. Um, if you register before 5 o'clock today, you can still qualify for the early bird. If you if after 5 o'clock today, you're going to pay about $50 more. Um, and we already have 105 people signed up for the um, summit. Well, that's pretty good numbers. Is that uh, up or down from last year? That's up. Uh, we're uh, ahead of this time uh, last year, so we're encouraging. Uh, I think we're encouraged that we're providing the right programming that, you know, that uh, nonprofits uh, want to hear uh, in this uh, particular in this region. That's terrific. Well, we're going to uh, be adding a link to the radio links today, so anyone listening here on the Nonprofit Coach, as soon as the show is over, you will find a link uh, to the afp-newjersey.org site, or you can go there directly right now to, uh, to register. I hope I get a chance to see uh, many of my listeners uh, here uh, in New Jersey uh, this week. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for inviting me, uh, and thank you for coming on the show and giving us uh, some insight into what's going to be happening happening in New Jersey on Thursday. Thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Code. Thank you, Ted. Terrific, terrific. Well, uh, we're going to let the fun continue here because I've got one more uh, program that I'm very excited to be part of and want to encourage all of my listeners to make sure that you register uh, for a webinar that's going to be uh, coming up just next week. Now, keep in mind, we do have the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show next week at 12 noon, uh, but we want you to stay on. We want you to block out some time uh, to stay with us because uh, right after uh, that show at uh, 2 o'clock uh, Eastern. Uh, we're going to uh, be participating in a webinar uh, with our good friends over at Karma 411. And I believe John Murcott is here with us on the Nonprofit Coach. John, are you with us? I am, Ted. Hi. Hey, terrific to have you here on the Nonprofit Coach. I'm very excited uh, about this uh, webinar that uh, I'm going to be part of. 2 o'clock Eastern Time, September 28th. Tell us all about it. Sure. Well, the title is called How to Empower Your Online Donors to Influence Their Social Network. And the idea is to go through some of the latest trends, what's going on with Facebook's uh, open graph, what, uh, what are new uh, releases in Twitter, and talk about some features that Karma 411 has. But the bottom line is, how do you take all of that activity and excitement around social networks and help uh, leverage that to influence donations to your cause? Of course, this is so important for nonprofits, and, and charities are just hungry for information on how they can do this integration, how they can understand how to utilize these tools. And Karma 411 was actually one of the leaders in developing a platform that not only provided for online fundraising, but also incorporated our concepts of people-to-people -people fundraising and social media. John, tell us just a little bit about, without giving away all the details of the, the webinar, a little bit about how do you accomplish that, and is that for all charities? 
Uh, well, we do think it's for all charities, and, and as you can probably imagine, even the small charities, the ones that sometimes are a little closer to the grassroots and a little closer to the community, can really take advantage of the tools because they have that relationship with their supporters, their volunteers, and as I said, the community. So what Karma 411 offers is a lot of the kind of powerful tools uh, that maybe some of the big players use, and they can use it for themselves. And as you said, it really follows the model of people-to-people -people fundraising. How can you let your supporters raise money for you through their social network? Exactly, and that's, and that's really the key here is that, that now charities, even the smallest of charities, have access to literally state-of-the-art technology for very little cost so that they can now put more money into uh, actually building relationships and less money into technology and still be able to succeed. Isn't that the case? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, the model follows a, a technique you may be familiar with called software as a service. So the idea is there's nothing to install. You can get started right away. You just need an Internet connection, and you can very quickly get your own uh, people-to-people fundraising application. And, and with Karma 411, you can, you can grow as you need to. You don't have to invest thousands and tens of thousands of dollars uh, right up front. What you do is you just start small, you start building those relationships, and you, you start, it sort of pays as you go, which is really in this economy a great way to go. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, even as a best practice, we often say that the first step, just take a small one, kind of dip your toe in the water, get comfortable with the concept, and as you said, let it grow over time. Well, John, we're, we're on page one, and I do need to get to page two, but I wanted to take a second longer because I was with a client in Birmingham, Alabama just this last week, uh, and I was talking to them about Karma 411 and urging them to uh, begin looking at that because they have a walk. Uh, and so tell me a little bit about some of the, the specialty programs that you have over at Karma 411 in addition to just straight line fundraising and straight line connecting to social media. You've got some specialty offerings too, don't you? Uh, we do. And as you said, these uh, tools let you grow with the, uh, the system, if you will. So a lot of the people get started with a couple pages on the site and get a, a comfort level. But then the next steps are, uh, what we call microsites, and the most common, what you just mentioned, are walkathons. And what that does is it combines the individual page of the people who register for the walk and uh, lets them, of course, fill out all of the registration information for the walk itself, but then, of course, after that, create their own page, create their own messaging, upload their own content and pictures, etc., and then send it to their friends to say, look, I'm participating in this walk, but I also would uh, appreciate it if you could uh, support the cause that I'm walking for. And that's all in a, a package. So it's something that's already pre-built. You just need to customize the content and information for yourself. So all the best technology, all the best of uh, the case studies that, that you've developed and the strategies that you've developed one in, all in one platform. Uh, we've got this webinar coming up now. John, I'm guessing people can still register uh, for this webinar. How, how can they do that and where do they go? Uh, yeah, so you can get that information right off www.karma411.com and there's a registration there. And we'll also be sending out uh, some email blasts and other promotions. But uh, if you just go to karma411.com and click on the uh, webinar link, you'll get the link to sign up right away. Terrific, terrific. And of course, we're going to be adding a link uh, to the radio links today uh, in, uh, uh, in the radio links on the nonprofit coach. So anyone who missed that or didn't get a chance to grab a pen quick enough to write down karma 411, and those are the numeric numerals, uh, 411.com, uh, they'll be able to get that rated in the, uh, the radio links side uh, for today's show. Of course, we'll uh, talk a little bit more and give you some more insight into the show next week uh, when uh, everyone is joining us here at 12 noon, but make sure you put it on your calendar right now to register and be available for a webinar. And, and John, this is, this is free? There's no charge for this webinar? Uh, that's right. That's free. That, that's that's a, a wonderful service that Karma is providing uh, to the uh, the industry. So register for the free webinar that starts at two o'clock on September 28th. It's two o'clock Eastern. John Murcott from Karma 411. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Great. Thanks. I appreciate it. 
Next up here on uh, finishing up here on uh, page one is a really terrific resource and dovetails so nicely uh, into uh, the Karma 411 uh, webinar and uh, the, uh, the lecture that I'll be giving this week in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and that is a really terrific uh, uh, little seven-page booklet uh, that you can download called Connecting to Supporters with Facebook. Uh, and this is really a terrific uh, free service that you can download. Uh, we've got the link for you over at tedhartradio.com. Just click on the radio links, uh, and you'll be able to download uh, this little booklet on connecting to supporters with Facebook. So that's just sort of a nice little primer uh, that you can take a look at in advance of uh, the webinar next week at 2 o'clock Eastern uh, 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 for Karma uh, 411. So check that out in the radio links uh, today. Last up here before we get to uh, page two uh, is a little bit more of, uh, of a, click a clip here. Uh, and I just couldn't uh, uh, help but find something. Is I know that uh, we've got a lot of Gleeks out there. Uh, if you don't know what that means, those are fans of uh, uh, the show Glee. Uh, and I'm so pleased that the actors on Glee are so volunteer-driven and so interested uh, in philanthropy that they have joined forces uh, with American Express, uh, and they are promoting the Members Project over at American Express. Uh, so we're providing you in the radio links today a way to get information on the Members Project uh, over at American Express where you can support a number of charities in a number of different categories. Uh, but Today we do have a little bit of a promo uh, from the folks over at Glee. Now, I'm just for those of you who may not be familiar with Glee, uh, the woman who is uh, uh, doing this uh, plays the role of Sue Sylvester. Uh, she's known for being very sarcastic uh, in uh, her approach to life. So uh, uh, take this uh, Sue Sylvester on Glee talking about volunteerism with a little bit of a grain of, thought, of salt here. From the rainforests of South America to the classrooms of our inner cities, from the purple mountain's majesty to the fruity plain with amber waves of whatever, we could fight to make the world a better place if we only knew why. Think about it. What do animals do except poof on your lawn and make you feel guilty about how delicious they are? Why should children be burdened by the tyranny of reading? Words are hard. The arts? They don't need your support. What artists do need is soap. Seriously, the next time you meet an artist, smell it. I swear they rub their armpits with onions. People are always saying, get involved. Well, to them, I say, sure, I'll take a stand for as long as it takes me to find a comfy chair. That feels good. A little bit of a fun uh, take on volunteerism. The more serious part of that is the Members Project at American Express, and we encourage you to take part in that and as a charity uh, to, uh, to uh, join in the Members Project and uh, be supported uh, by their members. So that, uh, that uh, finishes up here on uh, page one. Uh, and as always, next, page two. I'm so honored today to be joined on page two uh, with Larry Checo, who is president of Checo Communications and author of Branding for Success, a roadmap for raising the visibility and value of your nonprofit organization. Larry is an expert. He's here in the nonprofit coach uh, with us. I want to encourage you to call in and ask a question at 347 324 uh, or as always, we're over in the chat room, and you can ask questions over in the chat room if you'd like, uh, or you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Uh, Larry Checo, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Well, thank you for having me, Ted. It's a pleasure. Great uh, opportunity to chat with you. Of course, your book is a very important one. There is a link for folks to be able to buy your book at tedhartradio.com, so they can just click there and, and order that through our good friends at Amazon. But, Larry, I'm going to ask you to, to tee this off because it's so interesting and so timely. I was just uh, in Atlanta with a, a client this last week, and the whole issue of branding and how they position themselves was central to almost the entire discussion. And I think so many charities 
struggle with how do they get their message out. And of course, you've been working in this area for quite some time. So give us some insight into why did you write the book and what are you trying to help people do? Well, Ted, I'm on a personal mission uh, with this book and with my work. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that most people out there think that branding is all about marketing and advertising and public relations. And um, I'm not saying that branding is, doesn't include those three components, but uh, I take a different approach to good branding. And for me, good branding is all about quality leadership and staff, accountable and ethical behavior, and the willingness, ability, and commitment for an organization to live up to what it says about itself. Because it doesn't matter how much money you spend on your marketing and advertising. If my brand experience when I come to your organization doesn't meet the expectations that you set, then, you know, the brand is a hollow brand. Let's put it that way. Can you give us an example of of maybe an organization that that you think uh, has done a particularly good job at branding itself? Mm, that's an interesting uh, question because I, I think there are several out there, but I hesitate to, to, to pick anyone out because they've all kind of, even the biggest organizations, Ted, uh, have had problems. And uh, I was just reading uh, in, in the post uh, uh, yesterday, I believe it was, about uh, Feed the Children having its problems. Uh, some of the biggest ones, the American Red Cross has had its problems with uh, tarnishing its brand with some of the things that it's done. Uh, and these are good organizations, basically. Uh, if you look at... Um, uh, oh, there, there's a couple of others. Even um, uh, Habitat for Humanities uh, leadership got in a little trouble. It's, it's very hard for organizations to stay on the straight and narrow. And when they get off it, it's very hard to catch up to a tarnished brand and fix it. Uh, I think it's much easier to maintain a good one through good leadership, quality uh, staff, accountable and ethical behavior, and again, that willingness to stand up for what you say about yourself. Exactly. One of the uh, the, the uh, uh, examples that I always provide when I'm talking to charities about the the importance of message and the importance of being focused on what is the reason why people are connecting with you um, uh, is uh, uh, the folks uh, over at uh, why, why is my mind going uh, blank here? Um, uh, at, anyway, at, at Habitat for Humanity, uh, and in terms of how they have really stayed focused um, and have really built a volunteer base on on the whole concept of building houses, and and almost anybody knows what that brand is about, even if they don't know where they're located or how to reach them. Right? It, it is a brand that, that exists in and of itself. And I think a lot of times charities have, go so far afield or they offer so many different programs that even their own supporters couldn't put their finger on exactly what they do. Oh, that's so true. That is so true, Ted. You, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, for me, uh, a good brand answers four basic questions, and that is who are you, what do you do, how do you do it? And probably most importantly, why should I care? You know, that's those, if, if a brand does not answer those questions, uh, then it's not a good messaging opportunity for you. Uh, I always give an example for um, when I talk about McDonald's, for example, has turned um, branding into religion. And uh, a lot of times in my, uh, my workshops, I will say to people, I said, you know, here we are, uh, you're in the car, uh, you're two hours onto your vacation, and you got two kids in the back seat, and you look up and you see the golden arches and a, and a sign for Frank's Homestyle Cooking. Where are you going to stop and why? And, you know, most people will say, well, we're going to stop at McDonald's. Why? Uh, well, because of the brand. But what is the brand? And then I get them to kind of come around to the idea that, well, the brand is we know how much we're going to pay. Uh, we might be on a tight budget, and that's why we should care. Or we want to do this quickly. We're, on, we're trying to get to our destination, and we don't want to spend 20 minutes waiting for the waitress to come to our table at Frank's. Um, we may like the food. We may not. I don't know. But I'm, what I'm saying is McDonald's has a brand, it ha- and, and the brand is not the Golden Arches. The Golden Arches are simply the banner for that brand. All the Golden Arches are saying is, you know, exit on, uh, you know, exit 34. Go two blocks and we're on the right. That's all the, the, the logo stands for. Um, the rest is up to the establishment itself. When I walk in there, am I going to get what I expect? And if I don't, what happens to the brand? It's tarnished. It's tarnished. Um, more in the direction of a uh, – let's, let's, I do a lot of work with uh, community development corporations. 
and, and most of those people are in affordable housing issues. And right now, as you know, um, a lot of people are having trouble with uh, maintaining their mortgages. And uh, for the arg uh, sake of argument, let's say I'm, uh, uh, you know, about to lose my home, and I call one of these CDCs who are assigned to help with uh, refinancing my mortgage. I call them up, and they say, oh, Larry, we'll get, to you. we'll get back to you in 48 hours. And I don't hear from them. You know, at all, or maybe two weeks later, what happens to the trust? Because a brand is based on trust. What happens to the trust? Will I call those people again? I doubt it. They would have been better off if they had said to me, Larry, we're really swamped. Uh, we can't get to you for two weeks, um, but we will try our, our hardest, rather than set an expectation that they can't meet. And that, that, again, that's why branding is not about the marketing and advertising. It's the willingness, ability, and commitment to live up to whatever messages you are sending out there. Those messages. It's also understanding your audience as well. I mean, one of the groups that I, I also uh, typically point to is AARP, mm. an organization that started basically being the old folks charity um, in providing services to old people. Um, and their name even was um, the American Association of Retired Persons, but they really rebranded themselves as AARP and really live under the mantra that you know, 60 is the new 30, and providing resources and about active seniors. And, and so they really just, um, you know, shifted their focus, um, and that helped them expand their audience, of, uh, you know, to people who are older but didn't view themselves as being old, but also helped the organization get focused on the things that uh, were important to them with an aging population. So I think for a lot of charities, and I see this so often, is they were founded to do one thing, and um, most of the time, they're spending uh, their time living up to the expectations of what's happened in the past as opposed to really understanding how they can brand themselves and be relevant for today. That's very true, Ted. That's very true. And that also uh, has a geographic implication as well. There are lots of organizations that start out and say, uh, for example, um, we're, the, uh, we're the CDC of, of, of Columbia, Maryland. And in the first few years, they're struggling to, to uh, service that area. But after 15, 20 years, you know, they've expanded. And now they're not only working in Columbia, Maryland, they're working in Silver Spring, and they're working in uh, Westminster. And they come to you and say, Larry, you know, we're having trouble raising uh, funds in those other areas. Uh, and the reason is, is a good one, because they have a name. They have a geographic name that limits their ability to raise funds in certain areas. So I always advise anybody who's starting a nonprofit do not limit yourself by naming yourself with a geographic location because it, although it may seem like this is a real hard nut to crack now, 15, 20, 30 years from now, uh, you may be well uh, beyond that service area, and it's going to be difficult for you to change your name because one of the most difficult things in all of branding is to rename yourself. AARP uh, did a very good job because they took what they had. Um, I, I doubt there are many people under 50 who know that AARP stands for the American Association of Retired Persons. Um, but they go by ARP. They do business as ARP right now. It's much the same way with uh, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, it's much the same way with, uh, well, the YMCA is now going uh, by simply the Y. And there's many reasons for doing this, but... Um, uh, truncating and, and, and changing a name are, are very difficult things. Yeah. Walk us through the process that a charity should use um, in thinking about their brand. And, and a lot of you know, our listeners are, are folks that uh, you know, are working in an organization that's been established for a while, large or small. Um, but regardless of where I'm at, what should I be thinking about my brand right now in terms of what the future might bring? Well, one of, the, you know, one of the things I would, I would strongly recommend is if you're going to do anything with your brand in terms of rebranding or strengthening it, uh, it's got to be an organization-wide effort. Um, branding uh, is not a top-down thing. You don't get your board members together and your executive staff and say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to you know, kind of come up with the messages that we feel uh, will strengthen our position in the marketplace. I will guarantee you, Ted, dollars to donuts, that the person who answers your phones has an entirely different perspective on your organization than the, per than the person who sits in the boardroom or the executive office. That's number one. Um, but number two, I think they need to do an internal brand audit. Uh, you, don't, you don't create messages uh, by shooting from the hip. It's a real bad uh, strategy. 
the best thing you can do is to find out internally who you believe you are, what you do, how you do it, and why anybody should care. And I believe you said this before, Ted. Uh, you can ask two people in the same organization those same four questions, and you can get two, uh, two very sets of different answers. Uh, I, I, it happens all the time. Um, one of the most important things an organization needs to do is come around, uh, come to consensus on these four questions. Who are we? What do we do? How do we do it? And why should anybody care? When people take my courses, they hear that a thousand times. Um, but they're essential. They're essential questions that every organization needs to answer. Second, once you think you know who you are and what you do, you need to go out externally and determine what your external audiences believe about you. What do they know? Is it accurate? Um, what would they like to know? What, what do you feel that they don't know? And that takes some external research, which can be done either in focus groups or online surveys or even in informal uh, kinds of things. Well, good questions to ask, though, because I also find that a lot of charities to speak, allow themselves to become paralyzed uh, by not knowing where to go or what to ask, or they may think, well, I can't really afford to hire uh, a big expensive consultant. What, what's, what's sort of the, the poor man's uh, way of approaching um, marketing and, and looking at your brand. Okay, well, I guess uh, I hate to be terribly self-promoting here, but my book sets out a strategy for that about in terms of uh, doing a SWOT analysis and then going out and doing your external research. And then you have to combine those two elements. What do you know about yourself? What do, you, what do others know about you? And then you can start in good faith crafting messages. But I would also say once you get your messages crafted, please, 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 please be sure to test them before you go public with them. Because you'd be surprised. Uh, I was doing a focus group out in California one time for a, uh, a large national organization that dealt with the financial industry. And one of the messages, or a couple of the messages they had, had the word partner or partnership in it. And we thought, oh, that's a no-brainer. Uh, no problem there. This is uh, all good stuff, collaboration, cooperation. And as soon as those messages came up for testing within the context of the focus group, two, two bankers raised their hands. And they said, uh, you know, uh, that word partner and partnership – uh, they don't work for us uh, they're, they're, because in our industry they're too loaded with legal implications. We don't mind being seen working together with this organization, but the word partnership is too, too strong for us. So it's a, it's a perfect example of how an organization think, thinks that it had it all right, was going to go out with a real good positive message, and that it, but it was going to be received very differently by the people, the exact people that they were looking to reach. So, again, one of the things you have to be very careful about in messaging is it's not how a message is delivered. It's how it's received that makes all the difference. And if you're a parent, uh, I think you would understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 uh, we have a question here. It just came in from email, and I'm, I'm smiling, uh, David uh, from Detroit, who's sending uh, this question in because uh, this is one of the things that I, I talk about here on this show and I talk about in my lectures is this issue of branding that's actually it's changing. That the, So the rules of the road of, of branding in the Internet age is really changing because a lot of charities spend all their time sort of trying to lock down the brand and own the brand and control the brand as opposed to letting it live and breathe. And, and my position on the Internet and with Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter is that you have to allow people to promote and be inspired by your brand as opposed to sort of being the policeman of your brand. How do you find that middle ground, or, or do you agree with that? Well, you know, you know that's a very interesting question, and, or, or a comment, actually. The, everybody is so enamored with this social networking, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, you know, it goes on and on. I understand there are hundreds of them. Uh, my caveat to my clients is good news travels fast, bad news travels faster. If you're, you know, if you're playing, you know, with these technologies, these social networking technologies, be very careful that the stuff that's going out and sounding about you is, is positive because if it's not, it travels like wildfire. I see my mission as trying to make my clients really look at themselves so that when they go out, they're, they're, they're bulletproof in a sense, that there should be no, um, no scenes in the brand that anybody can start talking about. Um, but it's, it's a very, this, I think the Internet has added an entirely new dimension, not only to branding but to everything. But 
uh, branding in particular, because I, I was just speaking to somebody who is the head of marketing for Coca-Cola in um, in Australia, and she told me, she said, Larry, she said, we have a, I have a whole department, or a set of people, who all they do is skim the web or, scan, or surf the web all day long just to look to see what people are saying about us uh, so that we can rebut or at least you know have an opportunity to defend ourselves if something is going wrong out there. Now, I don't know if I answered uh, David's question, but uh, I, I am very uh, cautious with, with these new technologies because I think there, there's uh, the emphasis is there. Yes, there's a lot of opportunity to do good with these social networking opportunities, but if, if something goes wrong, um, it's, it's, it's madness to try to catch up to it because it just travels so fast. Well, but the flip side, and, and one of the things that that, uh, that I share with, with folks is that you have to understand how these tools work and how many people are utilizing these tools. I mean, it's not by accident that Facebook has over 500 million people uh, worldwide and is growing astronomically in uh, societies like India and South Africa and, and, and other places that I've just recently been in the, the last six weeks. And, the, and the, the key here is is that you need to learn how to use these tools so you have a credible presence because people are going to talk about you whether you're there or not. Um, so, And I think that you're far more likely to be noticed from your absence than to accidentally stumble across doing something wrong. That's a great point. That's a new reality. Yeah. Well, and that's that's a very good point. And the point is, you know, whether you know it or not or like it or not, your your organization has a brand. It, it does. I mean, uh, because a brand is anything that people perceive your organization to be. Uh, it may not be the brand or the perception that you want, and that's really the issue I think we're talking about here. It's really up to an organization to understand its brand, articulate its brand, and protect its brand. And uh, if it doesn't do so, if it doesn't control its own brand, by defining it well, promoting it well, and protecting it well. And by protecting it, I don't mean, you know, the legal implications. I'm meaning you protect a brand by making sure that you're accountable and ethical, that your leadership is, you know, up to snuff, uh, that you're doing everything that you say you're doing. That's protecting the brand. If you wanted to hear you know, before you asked about a good brand, I think probably one of the best brands out there. And I don't, I don't, Go to McDonald's. I don't eat there now that my kids are grown. I don't think I've been there in 10 years, but McDonald's has turned it into religion. I mean, they, they know how to protect it. They know how to make it a living brand as well. They know how to listen to their audiences. Uh, they know how, for example, they've added, you know, they've added salads. Now, yeah, the salads are great. You put the sauce on it, and you probably know better off. But the point is they're trying to listen. They're trying to give you the perception that we hear you. We know what your concerns are, and we're trying to give you choices that work for you when you walk through our doors. And um, but every every brand is a living brand. Um, somebody once said to me, um, Larry, would you do a branding campaign for us? And I said no. And she said, Well, I thought you were a branding person. And I said, Yes, I am. I said, But I said you can market your brand, but you can't do a branding campaign per se. And she said, Why not? And I said, Because a, a campaign has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a brand or a good brand is how you do business every single moment of the day. It's not, there is no beginning, middle, or an end to a brand. It's the way you do business and the way people... Another way to view brand is, is your reputation and the way that, that you promote yourself, and, and I think consistency is an important part of that. Precisely, precisely. But uh, good thing, and thank you for using the word reputation, Ted, because reputation is, a lot of people, I still get this, I mean, as many times as I've spoken around the country, uh, people, st I still ask people, you know, how do you feel, especially in the nonprofit sector, how do you feel about this term brand? And I always get a few hands going up saying we don't like it. And, and they'll say to me, uh, and, and I say, I'll say to them, why don't you like it? And they say, well, it just, it just makes us feel like too much like the for-profit sector. And my response is get over it. Get over it. You need to look more like the for-profit sector because there is, despite the terrible situation that this economy is in, there is money out there, and most of it is big money, and these people earn their money through business. It's the Bill Gates syndrome, you know. Uh, Bill Gates earned his money through, and he's, and he's not, Bill Gates is not operating a charity. Bill Gates is managing a philanthropic organization that values transparency and outcomes and accountability, all of that. And if you can't show that to sizable donors, 
um, you're not going to get the big bucks. And so um, I'm, I'm kind of lost my track where we came from this, but I, it's really important. Yeah, please. Yeah, Robert, that brings us that brings us to a very important uh, topic, and we actually uh, have another uh, email here. Um, is Sally from Atlanta um, is is actually I guess guiding us a little bit and asking us where does this dovetail into fundraising? How does this connect to the work that a lot of our listeners have to do every day? And that is how does brand affect fundraising? Oh, uh, you know, terrific question, Sally. Um, how am I going to give to you if I don't know who you are, what you do, how you do it, and why I should care? Why would I give to you? If you don't answer those questions for me through your brand, when I, in other words, when I see your organization's name or its logo, I should, have an immediately, I should have an immediate answer to those four questions if you've done your job right. Um, right now there are something called uh, giving circles, and I did some work for them once, uh, a few years ago. But this whole, it's a, it, it could be, end up to be a tsunami, but it's basically women who get together. And they uh, are looking for organizations basically locally, uh, to give their money to, and what are they looking for? They're 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 looking for a good, well-branded organization who knows who they are, who knows what they do, who knows how to get the job done, and they know how to get the message across of why I should care. Um, it's it's branding and fundraising are bedfellows. There's no way that you can raise funds unless people understand your brand. And again, I think there's here's this misconception that um, uh, I, I keep having. I think most people think our brand is all about our marketing and advertising. No, your brand is more about how are you projecting, how, how do your leaders and your staff project yourself to the audiences? How accountable and ethical are you? Are you in the paper you know, every now and then for something that's untoward? That's not going to help your brand. That's not going to make me well, want to... And, and, and Larry, one of the, the examples that I give and I want to share with our listeners today in terms of how branding dovetails with social media and, and dovetails with, with fundraising um, is LinkedIn. Uh, and LinkedIn.com, I think, is one of the most important, even probably today more important for a lot of charities in terms of this notion of branding, large or small, uh, because of the number of foundation executives and business executives who are engaged in LinkedIn, what you can learn about them, what they can learn about you, but more importantly, in the discussion rooms and in the, the chat areas on LinkedIn where you can become and provide to people who come to, to LinkedIn expert advice, expert information, links back to your organization, establishing and enhancing your brand in an avenue to people who don't even know you. But you now become a trusted voice. You now become a trusted resource so that when you then are looking to do fundraising, that all becomes part of sort of the online record. And, and what I share with folks is branding, where most people think of branding as my logo, you know, branding is my, my press release, which is so perfectly wordsmithed. And I think branding today in the Internet age is so much more than that. It's all of the photos that are uploaded. It's all of the evidence that you are an active uh, participant in whatever community that you're part of, whether it's a geographic uh, community or it's a demographic uh, community, however you define that you still have to brand yourself, and one of the most important brands I think you can have today is a trusted voice in oh. whatever topic chosen to support. Ted, you hit it again on the nail right there. Uh, a brand, okay? A brand screams out, trust me, okay? Uh, in other words, when you see those McDonald's Golden Arches, it says, trust me, I will deliver on fast food in a cheap environment, family-friendly, all those things. If you see the, uh, the Nike Swish, um, the brand represents quality to us. As, you know, if, if I buy a, 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 a Nike shirt, I expect to be able to wear it for a few years without the threads coming bare for me. Uh, you know, whether if I buy a, a Mercedes, I expect the quality that they're marketing to me. I mean, a brand screams out, "Trust me." A good brand, and here's the difference: a good brand quietly and always fulfills that pledge, um, and that's that's the difference between. Uh, a brand and a good brand. As I said before, we all have brands, but uh, you know, what is, is yours a good one? I, I hate to use this example. I use it all the time, however, because I'm, I'm a little bit angry with them. But look at the financial institutions with all the marketing and all the advertising. You know, invest with confidence, trust us, uh, all that, all that stuff. And and it turned out that in the end, they didn't even the banks didn't even trust each other. And what happened? Everything came to a grinding halt. 
the entire notion of a brand is Do you based have a on- checklist that charities, and, and I'm often thinking of, of again, uh, you know, smaller charities or charities that, that lack a budget that, that how do I know that I have a good brand? Are there, are there, where's the evidence that I look for? Are there measures that you look for? You know, a lot of it is just word of mouth, quite frankly. You, you know. I mean, I think most organizations know in their heart of hearts whether they have a good brand or not. Um, but, you, I mean, one of the ways you do it is you do focus groups. You can do informal focus groups. You can get your key audiences in uh, in an evening and just, uh, you know, provide a little food. Food is a great gathering uh, source. And, uh, and ask them, you know, how are we doing? Are we meeting your expectations? Uh, are we doing a good job? What do you think of our staff? What do you think of our staff? One of the things I always ask is, in a lot of sessions, a lot of the listeners today have probably uh, had a chance uh, to see what I call live website review, and, and whether it's in South Africa or in San Francisco, um, where I literally bring up websites of people that are in the audience. I've never seen them before, and I, and I provide a review of what, what that site does. And one of the first things I'm looking for is how well are you branding yourself and in 10 seconds. And I think this is one of the measures that everybody here listening to the nonprofit coach today needs to look at their website and in 10 seconds can you tell who you are, what you do, and most importantly and where most charities fail, what do you want me to do? What is the call to action? What are you hoping that I will accomplish in coming there? And so many charity websites fail just that 10-second test. And as I look further into the site um, where maybe their their name is very confusing, there's there's a a, a charity, I won't won't name them, uh, in uh, in Cape Town just a couple of weeks ago that uh, I brought up their website. I couldn't really tell what they did, but and their name was very confusing because it, it led me to believe they did one thing, and yet when I'm looking at the website, it's a complete disconnect. And, and a lot of charities fall into this category where they had mission creep, and, and the, the organization, the board of directors, probably rightly made decisions that put them in service to different populations, yet the name is the same. Uh, and they're, they're holding on to this perceived notion of a strong former brand that now no longer represents them. What advice do you have in terms of charities that find themselves sort of inheriting what might be viewed as an old brand? How do you determine whether or not it's actually of any value, uh, or do you rebrand yourself? Well, I'll give you I'll give you a 40,000-foot a, a um, answer to that question, Ted, if you don't mind. But um, branding is all about clarity. It's all about clarity. Anything that does not bring clarity to who you are and what you do and how you do it and why anybody should care is a bad brand strategy. And it sounds like, you know, what the folks that you talked about in South Africa are going through is a bad brand strategy. It's all about clarity. Um, and it's all about consistency. That's another, I meant to get to this before you, you had mentioned that word. You know, here we are, we're watching a, a football game, right? And we see that same BMW commercial, you know, three times in the, in, 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 in Five minutes, ten minutes, and, you, and we say to them, you know, why don't they get their more, you know, why don't they get their their programming right? Why are we watching this commercial three times in fifteen seconds here? You don't think they've got their programming right? They've got they're paying millions of dollars for that programming. Marketers know that they have to, you know, hit your skull fifteen times before anything starts to penetrate it. We're being bombarded, and, and this, these are probably old numbers now. We're being bombarded with about 3,000 messages a day from the time we get up in the morning until the time we go to sleep. And if you spend any time on the web, you can probably do that in multiples. But the point is is that people will say to me, oh, but we've been telling our, our audiences, this, giving them the same message for so long now. They must be bored of it. No, they're not. They're probably just getting to it because you've got to keep set, you've got to have that consistency. If you don't have the consistency of message and the clarity, you're not doing a good job with your brand. And a lot of that comes through the research that I tried to talk about before, with you know the clarity that you are going to get if you do an internal SWOT exam. You know what are our strengths, uh, and what, and so therefore what can we promote in good faith? What are our weaknesses? Those things that we need to address so that we can improve our brand. What are our opportunities? You know, can we bring our brand to new levels? Uh, can, is there a new company coming into town that we should be seeing? Or is there uh, you know, something else that we can use as an opportunity? Uh, and threats. What kind of threats are out there? What kind of things do we need to prepare for? Um, and you know, it could be you know, new competition. It could be anything. But 
and so few organizations go through that exercise. They're so busy going through the day-to-day activities that they really miss the introspection that it takes to be able to, to define, articulate, and protect their brand. They just don't do it, and they need to, especially in this day and age with all the Twitter and the you know, Facebook and all the social media out there. They need to be able to say who they are, what they do, how they do it, and why I should care enough to support them. And, and it's that's interesting how out. things have changed in, in, in how we view uh, communication. I mean, it, it used to be that, you know, news was a, a half-hour news show, and, uh, and then things changed, and it was 24 hours, but it was small sound bites. Uh, and, and newspapers used to be full newspapers, but then we got uh, sort of USA Today giving us, you know, short little sound bites of, of news, and now that's kind of old hat, and that's really too much information, and now, you know, on the Internet, you, you have to say things in 140 characters. Mm-hmm. And I think branding becomes even more important when you – there's so much – uh, information out there and so much that people are bombarded with that if you don't have clarity of mission, if you don't have clarity, uh, and, and not just I'm clear at what I do, but can you articulate it? Can you actually say it? Right, right. Do you have your positioning statement? In other words, if somebody asks me, uh, and we talk about this all the time, you know, it's the elevator speech. You're on the fifth floor of a conference center and you're going down to the main lobby and somebody looks at your name tag and says, oh, Checo Communications, you know, they're just trying to start a conversation. Well, what's that about? Well, Checo Communications is a consulting firm that specializes in branding. I help organizations better define who they are, what they do, how they do it, and why anybody should care. And you'd yeah. be surprised how many people will say it by the time we get to the lobby. Geez, you know, you know, my, my organization is having trouble with some of those questions. Uh, can I get your card or can I have your email address or whatever? Um, but okay. you've got to be able to succinctly say who you are and what you do. Um, it's the same thing with, with us. I mean, with uh, TedHart.com, you know, we, we, we say, you know, we help charities succeed online. Um, yeah, so, you, you know, however you want to define that, social media, website design, but it's we help charities succeed online. Um, and and all, all of my books and the radio show and everything and the newsletter, everything ties into that because it's a topic that charities have to learn how to succeed. But the other good news, and I think it's, a, it's, it's still good news in the branding front as well, is there's still time to get it right. There's still time to learn these because although it's moving very fast and you can't delay it, um, for most charities today, the technology is still accessible. It's still able to be used, and you're still able to learn these skills and be able to integrate them into your offline activities. I would, I would take that even one step further, Ted. I would say it's not an option these days. It's, it's yeah. not an option. Um, the, the fundraising is getting more difficult. Um, there are more and more nonprofits. It depends on whose numbers you want to go with, but... Uh, there is as many as 1.8 to 2 million nonprofits, and I heard somewhere that they're growing like 10,000 a year or something, or 100,000 a year. You're in competition with lots of folks looking for. And there's 1.8 million charities in, in the United States, and it, and it does grow somewhere between you know 50 to 75,000. Listen, Larry, um, we're running short on time, and we do have a question here over in the chat room at tedhartradio.com. The uh, good folks over at Dream Job Radio are asking, how about Facebook and Twitter? Do they help brand tr- build brand trust for, for nonprofits? Where would you say, very quickly, where, where does that fit in the strategy for the average charity today, or do you think it doesn't fit? I think it can fit. I'm not saying it fits for every charity. Um, uh, I think they really need to know how to use it. I think they need to be educated and, and through people like yourself, Ted, how to use this technology for themselves uh, and making sure, making sure that the messages that they're conveying vis-a-vis these technologies are accurate, that they're bulletproof, that what they're saying is the absolute truth. I think the place that most organizations uh, run into trouble with is they are they are uh, they are promoting their fairy tale and not their brand. And by that I mean uh, they're 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 promoting what they would like to be rather than what they truly are. And that's a big mistake. Well, it's absolutely true. Larry Checo, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. You've provided a lot of food for thought. And as I often point out to, uh, to charities when they're looking at social media, you've got time, but in my prediction, 
all charities will have to have a strong social media strategy just as they have to have a strong website strategy today. So again, Larry, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. It's been a pleasure, Ted. Thank you very much for having me. Just got just enough time to share with you um, on page three that I will be in Newark on Thursday, New York on Friday. Next week I'll be in Charleston, South Carolina, and Boston. But I will join you right back here on the Nonprofit Coach next Tuesday at 12 noon back here on the Nonprofit Coach. Thanks for joining us today. Goodbye. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.